and open your Bibles with me and turn to James chapter 5. James 5 verse 12. Above all, my brothers, do not swear. Not by heaven, not by earth, or by anything else, that your yes be yes and your no, no, or you will be condemned. Okay, let's, uh, let's begin tonight slightly differently. Let's begin with a scenario. Okay? You're in court. And uh, you're a key witness in a trial. And you're in the dock, let's say. And uh, you're about to take that oath. You know that oath that they make you take? You're about to put your right hand in the Bible and say, I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Okay, that's the situation. But right there, right then, a verse goes through your mind. And it is this verse here, and the words, do not swear. Not by heaven, or by earth, or anything else. What? do you do? Well, in a moment or two, we'll deal with that. But for the time being, I just want to stress the overall theme of what we're looking at tonight, okay? The topic, the theme tonight, is honesty in Christian speech. That's what we're talking about this evening. Honesty in Christian speech. And despite the fact that we're only really looking at one verse... Hopefully what we'll see is that there is lots in this that's really relevant to us. Stuff that's relevant to our lives and the way that we live. But also, I think we'll see tonight stuff that's relevant to our church life too. So with this in mind, let's get to the text. Let's get straight to where the, the, the power is. And let's consider four things. Okay? Not three, four things this evening. And the first thing's more of a sort of introductory point. Point one tonight is the preface to the command. The preface to the command. And what we're dealing with here is really just the first two words of the verse. Above all... And the question, where does this verse belong? Do you see what I mean by that? You know, it's it's a really sort of short verse. It's it's one verse, a short section rather. It's one verse. What's the situation here? You know, what comes with this verse? Does verse 12 sit with what comes before it? Or does it sit with something else? Does it sit with what, what comes after it? Where does verse 12 actually belong? And you might think, oh, well, that's pretty dull. You know, uh, that's a bit, that's just a technical thing. That's, that's something for theologians to worry about. But it's not, is it? Because unless we can see the context, unless we can see what James is actually thinking about, unless we can see what James is looking at when he's writing this verse, then there's a chance that we might miss something here. 
there's a good chance we just might not understand this command at all. So where, where does verse 12 belong? Okay, there's three possibilities. The first one, verse 12 could sit with what comes before it. Couldn't it? Do you see that? Look, verse 12 could sit as is in your Bible, in the NIV. Like Verse 12 could be a, a sort of continuation of this section about patience and suffering. It, you know, it's, it's a verse about oaths. So it could be a continuation about speech. You know, just as he said in verse 9, something about grumbling. Again, it's, it could be a continuation of that. But there's a problem with that, isn't there? Because if we read it like that, it means when James says, above all brothers, he means above what he's just said. Above persevering in Christ, don't take oaths. And I'm not having that. I mean, surely... Surely that's, that's, that, that just doesn't sound right, does it? Surely it's highly unlikely that James sees oaths as more important than us persevering and having patience in suffering. Okay? Okay, second possibility. It could just be an isolated verse, verse 12. You know, it could just be a section that we've got, verse 12, that sits by itself. Now, a lot of people think like that. You've got Martin Luther... He thought like that. There's another commentator, another bloke I read this week. He said, verse 12 has no relationship with what precedes it or with what follows it. But again, we've got a problem, don't we? Because if you take verse 12 on its own, then when James says, above all, he's saying, Above everything else. He's saying, above all, above everything I've said to you in this whole letter. Above perseverance and trials, above submission before God, about, above being humble before God. Don't take oaths. And again, that sounds highly unlikely. Third option. We take verse 12 with what comes after it. And this, I think, is, is the most probable. Because you see, what, what we've got to appreciate here is that this is the beginning of the conclusion to the letter. Verse 12 kicks off a three-part conclusion. What James does is he gives honesty in speech, then he goes on to prayer, and then he goes on to backsliding believers. It's a three-part conclusion. And when we see that, we understand that this phrase, above all brothers, it acts almost like a sort of literary device, doesn't it? He's, I mean, think about it. He's concluding his letter 
He's bringing the letter into land, if you like. And he's saying, in conclusion, above all brothers. It's a literary device. And yeah, of course, it's still, he's still saying it's really important. It is still above all brothers. But it is in conclusion. He is bringing this letter into land. And I guess the the crucial thing to see is that that shows us the importance of the verse. Because it's part of the conclusion. These words here that we're considering tonight, these are some of the last words that James is going to write to a group of believers that he so clearly loves. It's part of the conclusion. Therefore, this verse is replete with significance. These words tonight, replete with importance. Okay, so that's the preface to the commands. Right, folks, let's, let's get to the, to the actual meaning of what James is talking about here. Okay, let's consider a second point. We've seen the preface. Let's think about the principle of this command. The principle of this command. And what I mean by that is really what's James talking about? What, what's the, what are the basics here? You know, he says, uh, above all my brothers, do not swear. So, so what is he talking about? What, what does he mean by that? What's involved in this idea of swearing? What's he got in view here? What exactly is being prohibited? This idea of swearing. But the first thing we've got to see is that he is dealing with a prohibition against taking oaths. That's what we've got, taking oaths. Now, now, now what's an oath? Well, an oath is a statement. An oath is a convention designed to limit lying and deceit. It is, isn't it? You think about what an oath is. You take an oath to, to promise or to guarantee that what you're saying is, is truthful and, and accurate. And what we've got to understand is that oaths weren't always forbidden in Scripture. Okay? So in the Old Testament, the concern wasn't that people don't take oaths. In the Old Testament, the concern was that if you enter into an oath, that you make sure that you keep your word. But if we're going to get to grips with what James is saying in this verse here, we've got to understand and appreciate the abuse and the misuse of oath-taking that happened amongst the Jews of the first century. We have to understand that. You see, Pharisees loved oaths. 
I mean, they really dug oaths. You know, they loved this idea of, of, of swearing on heavenly things. And the Pharisees of the, the, the first century, what they actually did was they adopted different level, different levels of oaths. And also, they sort of fabricated this thing where you would have major oaths. You know, those were the bad boys. You know, those were the ones you couldn't ever break. And then they had below that, they had lesser oaths. So, depending on the situation, you could maybe get away with breaking some of those oaths. And then they had light oaths, which really weren't worth the paper they were written on. The Pharisees loved oaths. They were flippant about oaths, and they were renowned for their mindless swearing. And think about it. Surely that's what James has got in mind here when he's writing this verse. Because who's he writing to? He's writing to Jews. He's writing to Jewish Christians. He is writing to people who would be au fait and absolutely familiar with a sort of pharisaical obsession with oaths. And what does James say to these people? What is the essence? What is the principle? What is the, the foundation of this command? Well, it's very similar to what Jesus says in Matthew 5. See, these are the words of our Lord. Jesus says this. You have heard it was said, do not break your oath, but keep the oath you have made to the Lord. But I tell you, do not swear at all. And what Jesus says, James confirms, and in verse 12, in this verse that we're considering tonight, what does he do? He forbids oaths. I mean, he forbids them outright. It's not a case of, well, if you're going to make a promise, make sure you keep it. No, he says, no, just don't do it. Just don't go anywhere near it. He tells believers to take a step back from this mindless, flippant promise making. That's the sort of principle of the command. But wait a minute. Let's go back a minute or two. Let's go back to the, the scenario at this. Let me put you back in the dock. Let's go back to the start of the sermon. Does what James is saying here, does that mean that we should, in a situation like that, that we should refuse to take legal oaths? You know, does this verse here mean that kind of official swearing is forbidden? Well, of course it doesn't mean that. You know? That's, that's far too literalistic an interpretation of Scripture. I mean, think about the obvious example. Jesus himself, when under oath, he answered all these questions that the high priest fired at him before his crucifixion. This is not about legal oath-taking. This is about voluntary oaths. What we're dealing with here 
is the problem of the problem of needing to underline what we say in everyday speech by adding sort of artificial support to it. You know, the, the tendency we have, because we are a people of unclean lips, the tendency to say things like, I don't know, I promise on the Bible that that is true, or, you know, as, as God is my witness, as, as heaven is my witness, that is true. Well, James says, no. He says, that is not how we roll as believers. You know, such should be the truthfulness of what we say at all times. That, folks, we should never need to firm up what we say with a promise of accuracy. Preface. Principle. Point three, the particulars of the command. Okay. All churches have problems. All churches have problems. No matter what type of church you attend, they all have sort of characteristic problems. So... If you go to a very, very small church, they might have to fight against becoming insular or becoming really rigid. If you go to a big church, they might have the problem of being really cliquey, let's say, or a big church could fight, have to fight against being kind of intimidating. Well, here... In our third point, we come to a problem that affects churches like ours. A problem that affects churches with a number of people from different countries and different nationalities and different parts of the world. So let's think about that. Okay, first of all, what we've seen so far, we've seen above all, do not swear, and then we've seen the sort of principle of this command. Now, I guess what James could have done is he could have left it there, couldn't he? He could have just ended the verse there because basically we know what he's talking about. He says, do not swear. We know that oaths, we get it. Oaths, something that we've got to to avoid. But look what he does. He doesn't leave it there. He digs a bit deeper and he tells us what in particular, we must avoid. I'll read you again. He says, do not swear. Next bit. Not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. Do not swear by heaven. Do not, as the first century Pharisees Do not swear on the name of God. Do not use the holy name of God to try and sort of justify the truthfulness of what you're saying. Do not swear on God. But it's not just that, is it? It's do not swear on heaven, by heaven. Do not just not swear on God. Do not swear on the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Do not 
swear on the angels. Do not swear on, on, on dead believers. Do not swear on glory itself. And then look what he does. He extends that even further. It's don't swear by heaven or by earth or by anything else. He extends his prohibition to cover what? To cover absolutely everything there is. Everything. Now, why does he do that? Well, again, he does it to mirror and echo what our Lord said in Matthew's Gospel. Because when dealing with oaths, Jesus explains that if we swear on anything, we are in effect still swearing on the name of God. You see? Everything has its origin in God. He is the the creator of all. He is the sustainer of all things. And such is his holiness. Such is the the holiness of his name that we must avoid oaths lest they bring him dishonor. And that, that is the problem that affects churches like ours. Because this issue that James is dealing with here is the misuse of the name of God. And there is, even amongst us, even within the church, there is their propensity, especially amongst younger people, the propensity to misuse the name of God. This happens freely. It happens regularly. It happens on social media. It happens in conversation with our friends. And I want us to address this issue right here. Let's not skirt around this. And I want to suggest two reasons why this might be. One, sometimes... Our misuse of God's name is because of a language barrier, isn't it? Our misuse of God's name is because of a language barrier. I mean, let's face it, a congregation like ours, there's a, you've heard it, there's a large proportion of people for whom English isn't the mother tongue. But that can lead to problems. You know, people in this congregation can be using God's name in vain and not even be entirely aware that they're doing that. And that is happening here. So I would say to you just now, and please hear this, if English is not your first language, then be so, so careful about how you use the name of the Lord. Be careful about it. And I would say if English is 
your first language. Friends, see that we are a family. Okay? And have a word. In private? Obviously. With grace? Yes! With gentleness? Absolutely. Of course. But have a word. Explain to people why language like that must be avoided. So sometimes it's down a language barrier. Secondly, sometimes our misuse of God's name is down to our falling away spiritually. And it, and it is, isn't it? Sometimes, you know, we hear these terms. Sometimes, you know, because we've let the standards of society creep into our hearts. Sometimes because, you know, we hear blasphemy. On, on the on the TV, or we hear it in other Christian cultures, and because we are not living as we should, because we are not walking with God as we should, because we are not spiritually sensitive, we adopt language like that. Now, is that where you are? Does that sum up your situation? Well, I would say to you tonight, stop it. Treat the name of God very carefully. You see, what this boils down to is the fact that the Christian culture in the 21st century, it needs to rediscover a sense of awe and a sense of reverence For the name of a God who is above all things, holy. He is holy, holy, holy. So, the preface, the principle, the particulars of the command. Just a word in closing on a fourth thing. Let's think about the plainness of the alternative. The plainness of the alternative. Okay, for years, I was reading about this this week, for years and years and years, um, doctors were searching for a way of tackling the problem of kids dying around the world because they were drinking uh, dirty, infected, polluted water. Okay? Huge problem. And about 40 years ago, a scientist and doctors hit upon an answer. What they did was they prescribed something which was called ORS, which was basically, I think, giving kids a dose of sugar and salt and clean water. That's all they did. And amazingly, this worked. And to date, uh, the article that I was reading, it says that that saved an estimated to date about 50 million lives, which is quite remarkable. So it's a case of a simple, very simple, straightforward uh, solution to a major, major problem. Simple solution. And that's what we've got here, isn't it? In verse 12. Because 
James doesn't just give, he doesn't just sort of fire a sort of prohibition at us, he doesn't just fire a command at us, he also gives us the solution to the problem, and just like ORS, it's a really straightforward thing, isn't it? Look what he says. It's people, brothers, sisters, come on. It's don't swear. Instead, simply let your yes be yes and your no, no. It's as simple as that. And I think of all the times that we've seen James in real close parallel with what Jesus says, I think this is perhaps the most obvious or the clearest example because I'll tell you what Jesus said in Matthew 5. Again, the words of our Lord, he says this, do not swear. This is Jesus. Do not swear either by heaven or earth. Simply let your yes be yes and your no, no. You see, it's a clear parallel with what James says. See what we've got? We've got a, a consistent scriptural call for honesty in Christian speech. We've got a call for unshakable truthfulness on the lips of the people of God. We've got a call for our words, for your words, to be as reliable and dependable as a signed legal document. You know, as James brings this letter into land, as he concludes it, he goes back to his favorite subject, correct speech, and he says, people, Christians, speak the truth. Speak the truth. As we close tonight, I just ask you a very simple question. Can that be said of us? Can that be said of you? I mean, I get it that, you know, we're not kind of people who are prone to making really elaborate oaths. You know, I get that you, you won't be doing that. There's not a lot of swearing on the name of God going on. But what about the underlying thing here? You know, are you prone to exaggeration? Are you? Are you prone to half-truths, white lies? Are you prone to overstating things? Well, if so, we're faced with the same warning that hit us in the face last week, aren't we? Because you see, in that passage in Matthew, when Jesus is urging truthfulness, he said anything other than truthful speech is of the devil. That your exaggeration or your half-truths, they're from the father of lies. And James is saying the same thing here. He says, let your yes be yes, your no, no, or you will be condemned. And we end with this. We end with a plea. Folks, from now on, from tonight onwards, let's endeavor to watch our speech.
Okay? Let's pray that we do not cause dishonor to the name of God through our language. But in complete antithesis to that, let's pray that we bring honor to the name of God through our utter adherence and devotion to truthfulness. And let's pray above all that in our honesty in speech we point people to the accuracy the veracity of the gospel that we point people to the one who is the way the truth and the life let's pray